Welcome to episode 23 of the Princeton Podcast with Mayor Mark Frieda. In this episode, Mark sat down with Shirley Satterfield, educator, renowned local historian, and founder of the Witherspoon Jackson Historical and Cultural Society. Shirley discussed her family's six-generation history here in Princeton, shared some experiences of her early education at the Witherspoon School for Colored Children on Quarry Street, and recalled some of the difficulties she witnessed during the Princeton School District's integration efforts in the 1950s. Shirley's early career as a teacher, and later as a guidance counselor in Princeton area schools, her extensive accomplishments in preserving and sharing the history of Princeton's African-American community, and her life history of devotion, education, and historical preservation are impressive. So without any further introduction, let's join our host, Mark Frieda, and his guest, Shirley Satterfield, for episode 23 of the Princeton Podcast. Shirley, thanks for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure, truly. Uh, so l- let me ask a question that I think I think <laughs> helps set the tone for our entire discussion. Shirley, how many generations of your family have lived here in Princeton? As far as I know, six generations. Um, my grandmother's oldest sister, Margaret Van Zant Blackwell, was born on Edge Hill Street, the oldest street in Princeton, in 1875. So I know that it had to go back further than that. So I would say the early 70s, 1870s. That's a while. That certainly is. So, uh, Shirley, can we talk briefly about your early school years in Princeton? Because I know the school system changed when you were younger. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could explain what that was, how it happened, and, you know. Okay. I started in kindergarten. Actually, I was in kindergarten for two years. I went to afternoon kindergarten when I was four and morning kindergarten when I was five. I didn't stay back. That's how it was. <laughs> and I went to Witherspoon School for Colored Children, which was then on Quarry Street. Um, it started on Witherspoon Street in 1858, and then it moved to Quarry Street. And they wanted to call it the Quarry Street School but they continued to call it the Witherspoon School for Colored Children. We didn't call it that. We just said we go to the Witherspoon School. Mm -hmm. But to denote the difference because of the segregated Princeton, that's why they added for colored children. So I was there in kindergarten, and my teacher was Mrs. Potter. I remember all of my colored teachers. (laughs) And Mrs. Potter, um, it is now the Waxwood, but I know that my kindergarten room was in the basement, And I remember there were tiles all over, beautiful tiles of the ABCs and nursery rhymes. But the closet was the whole length of the wall. And I don't know what it was, but Mrs. Potter would always put me in that closet and close the door because she said I was bad. And I don't even remember what I did other than hold hands with Roddy Pinnell under the desk in kindergarten. (laughs) But I went from kindergarten to third grade. And um, no, third kindergarten to second grade. And when I was in second grade, Governor Driscoll, um, who was then governor of New Jersey, passed a bill that all schools in New Jersey had to be integrated. So the PTA of Princeton and the Board of Education got together and said, well, let's integrate the borough schools in Princeton because we were borough and township then. Mm -hmm. And the township actually paid the borough for their colored children to come to Witherspoon rather than to come to school in, in, in township. So when they integrated the schools, then Witherspoon became the middle school. We called it the junior high school for all students in the borough. And then those in the township went to Valley Road. 
And um, Nassau Street School is a building where Tom, next to Thomas Sweet yep. is now part of the university. Yep. And they still have on the top, I think it says Nassau Street School or Nassau Elementary School. That's where I went from third grade to fifth grade. Now, they called it integration. It was integration on the outside, but unfortunately, they didn't sensitize the teachers. There was no sensitivity training. There was no um, racial diversity. So we just, we weren't even, I'll never be be remember being told that they were going to integrate the schools. Our parents knew, and our principal, Mr. Waxwood, Howard Waxwood, and the principal of the Nassau Street School, who was Dr. Uh, Chester Straup, they got together to try to make it a, a smooth transition. But unfortunately, um, our education went down because the teachers taught us differently. They thought that we were less than the students who were already there. Um, this, the white students whose parents did not want them to come into our neighborhood to go to school sent their girls to Miss Fine School, which was a private school for girls. And uh, the boys went to Princeton Country Day, which is on Broadmead next to the university area. And um, in the 60s, it became Princeton Day School. So that was my experience. And then when I was in sixth grade, sixth and seventh grade, I went back to Witherspoon and I had my cousin, Sarah, Sarah Harris, who everybody who's over 60 knows who Sarah Harris (laughs) is. And um, she told me I had her for math and science. And she said, you can't call me Cousin Sarah, you have to call me Mrs. Harris. So I remember going back and having some of my same teachers, but most of them, some of them had gone to um, uh, to, um, Nassau. And uh, there is a a 21-minute video called Princeton Plan 50 Years. And um, Dr. Straup and I had actually gone to uh, talk to the the, historian a legal defense fund about it in 1998. And they made a video about it. I don't know whether you've seen it or not, but it tells about the integration and how Henry Pinnell and I felt and how a white guy who was two years ahead of me, how he felt. He thought it was the greatest thing. So that was my experience. And uh, there were some things that were said by teachers that made us feel very inferior you know, and it continued to Princeton High School. So, but you're just that, um, I can go on and on and on no, about no, the I, education. I, I hear you, but, but, I, <laughs> but I think what's but important, Shirley, is to point out is that even though the schools were quote unquote integrated, uh-huh. as you point out, the teachers were not fully, not all the teachers were fully behind that. And if they, as they did, treat black students different than white students. Mm-hmm. So then they were putting the black students at a disadvantage. Right, right. So for all those years, that's a problem. Right. The good thing, well, not the good thing, but Dr. Straub realized that when students came from Witherspoon School, their test scores went up because we were really taught. And, you know, it wasn't just the um, academics. And we were taught how to be proud. We were taught about our history. So we went there with the knowledge, but um, they didn't recognize it, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that. But it was a good experience. We got to, we got along with the students. You know, at that time, there were um, Princeton was not just our community was not just African American. There were Italians yep. here, and they were our neighbors, and we, they were very good friends that lasted with us forever. So the kids got along, except when we got to high school and they started using the N word. But um, but yeah, 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 yeah. No, my yeah. Uh, my grandparents lived in the same neighborhood, so. Uh, oh yes. Yeah, yeah. So we all we all go back. That's we all, right. We're all connected. Absolutely. And we should be happy that we're all connected. Yeah, yeah. 
So um, just to talk a little bit more about your education. So I know mm-hmm. after the high school, you, you went to two different colleges. Mm-hmm. I went to, well, actually at Princeton High School, um, I never saw a guidance counselor. Hmm. And in fact, I didn't even know what an SAT was when I graduated because um, they, they tracked us. And they tracked us in general, academic, commercial, and industrial. And when I was in eighth grade sitting on the floor at Witherspoon School that was in the junior high, I was called to the office. I was in gym. And when you're called to the office in those days, you're in big trouble. <laughs> so everybody said, Shirley's in trouble. And when I went there to uh, the office, my mother was sitting there with the assistant principal to change me from general to academic because they put us all in it, which meant you took general courses and you got out of high school. So if we weren't put in academic, we would not have gotten an academic diploma. So, um, so I, I um, took academic, but actually I did change it. I changed it to commercial because I like typing and all of that. So since I didn't see a guidance counselor, I had no idea where to go to college. And my mother had gone to Ryder to take shorthand, but Ryder then was in Trenton. It was, there wasn't a campus there then. So I went to Ryder getting on the bus uh, I don't know how many days a week at um, Palmer Square and going into what was then um, the, the bus station on Perry Street in Trenton. I hated every bit of it. And my friend Manetta, who was um, Florence Broadway's sister, she was going there for, for medical secretary and I was going there for secretarial science. It was a two-year program. And um, the thing was that I was sitting shorthand and try to do those strokes and then we had to go to typing because we had to, t- we had to translate what was transposed, what was on our, and I had no idea what was on that paper. <laughs> so I'm sitting there looking at everybody typing. Well, basically, I flunked out a rider because I did not <laughs> like it. I didn't like, so, and I didn't know that much about it. But um, I was with a friend who was a year behind me, Frances Moore, and she had all these college applications on her um, table at her home. And I saw one for Bennett College, not knowing anything about Bennett College. And people said, well, Bennett College is a vassal of the South. So my uncle and my cousin and my mother and almost everybody in the family helped me with this application. And that's how I got to Bennett College in Greensboro, North Carolina. And then I took elementary education. And that's where I actually um, sat with the Greensboro Four to open up the counter at the 5 and 10. And we were trained to be nonviolent by SNCC and CORE and all of those organizations that were for civil rights at that time. And um, we had to sit at that counter and we couldn't move, but they threw us off the, off the stools, they spat at us, they threw things at us, they called us names. And being nonviolent was pretty hard, sure. you know? So, um, so I, I put that under my hat that I was part of that um, movement to open up the five and tens in Greensboro. And that was 1960 way before you were born. <laughs> uh, a little after I was born, actually, but no one heard that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right? What a so, shame so that, that, my, that So that was my education. And actually, when I came back to Princeton, I could have taught here. But so many people in my family were teachers, and they were telling me what to do because that's what families do, and everybody in the community was taking care of me. So um, the principal of a school in Las Vegas, uh, Kit Carson, 
had come to interview so when we were at Bennett, because you know they interviewed for careers. Sure. And my friend um, Tish Fish, who lived on Birch Avenue and was a year behind me, she was going to Las Vegas. The principal called me and asked me, and I said, Ma, can I go to Las Vegas? <laughs> and, and so she and, and another friend who lived in Connecticut and I got on that plane and we went to Las Vegas and we actually bought a house for $99 a month, which was $33 a piece. But I remember it because I didn't want to go because I thought it was like in the desert. I had no idea about Las Vegas, but when we landed in all that heat and I saw the strip, I said, well, here I am. So I was, I taught in Las Vegas. That was my first teaching job. So, yeah. Wow. Quite a ride there. Yes. And then, so um, I know that you, I believe you went back to actually get your master's degree at some point. So what? Yes, what, what I, went to, I went to Trenton State, which is now the College of New Jersey, yep. and I got my um, master's in guidance and, and um, student personnel. And then um, I taught, I was teaching in, uh, after I taught in Las Vegas, um, I got married and we moved to Syracuse because my former husband was getting his doctorate in polymer chemistry. And then we moved to Murray Hill and I taught in Summit. And I became a, a merit teacher when I was in Summit. And then um, we moved to um, East Windsor, and I taught seventh and eighth grade at Krebs School and Rogers School. Um, I taught English and history. And while I was teaching, I was getting my degree at Trenton State. And after I got my degree, luckily there was an opening at Hikestown High School. So that's where, that's where I was a guidance counselor. And uh, we were in houses, and each house had a house leader. And I was counseling nine through 12. And after about four years of counseling, um, the board decided that they would have each house one grade. And I and my house had all seniors. So I'm counseling over 400 seniors. And I didn't know how I did it, but I, that, they were the ones that I had to get ready for college. And parents were actually getting outside counselors because they thought I couldn't do that. Well, I did. And I had wrote all those recommendations for those going to college. But at that time in Hikestown, um, many of the students were not as college bound as they were later because um, it was a farming area. Yep. And most of the students got out of college, out high school and then worked on the farms or, or maybe have gone to junior college. But there were a group of people from New York who lived in an area called Twin Rivers. And they changed the whole educational system of, um, of Hikestown. And um, there were students who actually were able to go to noted colleges. And one of my students, um, uh, he was the valedictorian, and he was not accepted to Harvard. And I drove to Harvard, and I said, you have to let me know why he was not accepted. So they put three uh, applications. They said, this one is the same as this one, is the same as this one. I said, but what about my student? I think what it was is that Hikestown High School had not been recognized as if he had gone to Princeton or West Windsor, he probably would have gotten in. So I struggled to work to get these students in and I would take them to visit colleges. And um, through my summer vacation was to visit every state in New England and every college in every state. And I would stay at one of those colleges so that I could um, let them know we have students at Hikestown that can come to these schools. So, um, and then um, in 1993, I was called to the office, um, at the board office here in Princeton to, um, 
to be the head of a desegregation program. And I had no idea what the desegregation program was. It turned out to be Princeton Young Achievers. And they wanted me to be the head of it. And while he was asking me that question, um, the superintendent called me in his office and he started asking me questions. I said, this isn't the same questions. They're not asking me the same questions. Well, what it turned out to be is they wanted me to come to Princeton to be a guidance counselor. And the only reason I left Hikestown was I was coming home. There you so go. that's how I got to come to Princeton High School. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great story. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I also went to Trenton State College. Yes, I know. So, My mom remembers you too. Yeah. My mom loved you. <laughs> Your mother was a great woman, and I served for many years on the board of the Princeton Housing Authority That's what with it, your yes. mother. Uh-huh. Your mother was a tremendous person, yeah, as, yeah. as you are, so it obviously Thank runs you. in the family. Thanks. Um, you know, so everybody knows you as the local historian mm-hmm. of so much. Mm-hmm. So all that you have in your head, is there some effort for you to put this in writing or have some people— tape this or what what are we what is the plan to to keep all the information that you have okay um when i started this um can i go back and tell you how i started it please do okay when i came back home um i was committed three of us were um, commissioned by our, our pastor at that time who was reverend mcfarland to uh research the history of our church so um the three of us kind of divided it and i mine started with the history of Paul Robeson's father, Reverend William G. Robeson. And um, when I did the history, and uh, it does have to be written, I do have all the research. I spent years and years in um, the uh, theological seminary. And then when I was on the board of the Presbyterian Historical Society in Philadelphia, I did research there because they actually had the the, um, information. It wasn't on microfiche. So that's how I started. And then I was asked by a woman whose name was Alice Brees, to join the Historical Society of Princeton, and that was in 1990. And I'm looking around, and I said, I feel like a fly on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) They're talking about white history, but uh, what about from Jackson Street down to Birch Avenue, where we sustained all of Princeton? So there was a woman whose name was um, Gail Stern, and Gail Stern was the, um, she became the executive director of the, and she recognized the Italians and the African-Americans in Princeton, and that's when we started knowing there's really diversity in Princeton. So in 1995, I think it was, we did an exhibit of the Italian-Americans in Princeton. And the next year, we did an exhibit of African-Americans in Princeton. And um, that's, when I, that's when I worked with them on that. And actually, Paul Robeson Jr., was, I introduced him because he came to the opening. And when, we, when the, the exhibit was over, I said, well, we can't stop here. And that's when I trained people who at that time were older than I to do the walking tour. I said, we have to start a walking tour so people will know they won't stop at Wigan Street. They'll know that from Wigan Street down to Birch Avenue, there is history. So that's why I started the walking tour. And at that time, um, there were only two, two people. Um, I don't know if you know Jackie Swain, but she was working right. then at the university. Yep. And she and I were the only ones who were doing this. And for a while, she was working with me. And then I was just doing it on my own because I couldn't get anybody else to walk. When I was at Princeton High School, I started to get my students, (laughs) uh, people in the community. Um, But I did that, started that walking tour. And, you know, people in Princeton had no idea. They would stop by Paul Robeson's house, didn't know who Paul Robeson was, 
or they would, I would always start at the university because the historical society was then at Brainbeach House. Right. So I would say, we're going to cross King's Highway and we're going to go to the university first. And they said, well, why are you going to the university if you're talking about the African-American community? I said, because the first nine um, uh, principal um Presidents President, were yeah. not only uh, slave owners, they were all Presbyterian ministers, and um, that's how we started. I mean, slaves were here before then, but um, this is how we started. So, um, And then I'd tell them to look across the street, and I'd talk about uh, Palmer Square, which was Baker Street, yep. and how we were moved. That was our first um, urban renewal, and how we were moved down to Birch Avenue. And then we'd come into the African-American community. And if I did the complete tour, it took three hours. And you should see people, by the time they got to Birch Avenue and was coming up Witherspoon Street, they were tired. And they would say, but this is a hill. I said, yeah, that's why we called it going uptown. We never called going up to, to <laughs> Nassau Street downtown. It was always going uptown. But that's, that's how I started um, with the history. And then after the tour, I said, well, we can't stop here. And that's when um, I was on the, historicals, on the um, Historic Preservation Commission. And um, I brought up the idea is this is a historic place. It needs to be a historic district. And that's when I, we started working on that. And seven people sat in my dining room almost every week. And we worked on this, and we would meet with the council, we would meet with the zoning, we would meet with people who didn't want it to be a historic district because they couldn't change what they wanted to change. And um, so it did. We were the a historic district in April 11th, 2016. And then I said, well, we can't stop here. And that's when I started. Um, uh, what else did I do? Oh, I tried to do, um, I worked with Hillier, because Mr. Hillier is our uh, treasurer, to um, get plaques. And then we started the plaques. So I said, these are places that will no longer be here. And if you notice, every plaque shows the original picture of the buildings right. or the people there. And so that's why it's so important that they are done so people will know. And then there's an architect at Hillier Studio who has done the brochure so that people can do their own walking tour. And eventually it'll be so you can turn on your phone or whatever. And like you do at a museum, you'll stand in front of the plaque and, it'll, and you'll be told the history of it. And thank you very much for your, um, for your plaque. Oh, yeah. It was thank my you pleasure. so much. The walking yeah. tour is a, is a great thing. And everybody that's listening should at some point go do it. it yes. It's, it's yeah. very interesting. You'll learn a lot about the town. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So let's just talk for a second. Um, you know, you're involved in so many things, Shirley, <laughs> but, uh, so I can't even list them all. But let's just talk about the Witherspoon Jackson Cultural and Historical Society. So how did that get created? And, okay, that and, started even before the plaques. That was the other one, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to start an organization to uh, collect and preserve and share and appreciate and respect the history of African Americans in Princeton. So um, I called Leighton. I said, I said, Leighton, I can't do this by myself. So um, we did uh, form an organization. And um, it was, I don't know if you know Dr. Uh, Joanne Cunningham. Yes. Who lives in Princeton. Yep. And she was a professor at William Patterson. And her son went to Princeton High. Um, Reverend McAlpin, David McAlpin, who was our treasurer. And unfortunately, we have lost him. Yes. And he's our um, mayor emeritus. Um, Dr. Uh, Robert Rivers, who um, went to Princeton University, who he worked at Princeton University when he was younger, went to Princeton, has a walk named after him, and his picture's hanging up in some building there. Um, he's now uh, president emeritus. I mean, he's now emeritus. He was our vice president. 
um, Leighton Newland, who was now our councilman, um, Antoine Newland, who was Leighton's nephew, um, Ashley Hightower. There are two young members. Um, both of them grew up in Princeton. Um, Patricia um, Leslie Harvey, who uh, lives in, in Willingboro, but she joined us. And the reason she joined us is because she and a friend who grew up in Princeton actually um, said, your house needs to be a museum. So my friend, Joyce Sinkler, who actually lives in the house where that forest shop is now, yeah. right up the street, yep. that her father built that house, Mr. Sinkler, who Bob was with Sinclair. the recreation. Yes, you know, yes. Bob's a great guy. Right, right. Well, she came to my house every week, and we categorized everything on the first floor of my house. And it actually was a 501c3. It was called the Van Zant Moore May House, because my grandmother's uh, is a Van Zant, and then she married a Moore who drowned at Carnegie Lake, and then she married a May. So uh, it, it was going to be a museum. And uh, my daughter said, uh, you're kind of old to be living upstairs and having people come through your house. <laughs> and uh, I did take a course at Rutgers on how to make your house a museum, but all that you have to go through, the zoning, the cost, I said, there's no way. Yeah. So, um, so the organization um, uh, that, that was started, um, is that's, that's what we're doing. We have had um, interviews. We have had fundraisers. Um, our first fundraiser was uh, the man who came to speak at the Arts Council who uh, wrote a book about the Green Book. And you know about the Green the Book. The Green Book, yeah. And there are three places in Princeton who are list- that are listed in the Green Book. So that's how I started the organization. And it is flourishing. We have a newsletter um, if you um, go to the internet and do Princeton, WJHCS, no, WJS, whatever. I could never get, Wisdom Jazz Historical and Cultural Society. WJCHS. Thank you, dot org. <laughs> and then, then you will see our newsletter. Yeah. And we've highlighted many people who are in Princeton. And, um, and it's really a good newsletter. And Julian, uh, Julian is our um, editor, and he's one of the um, architects at at Hillier Studio. And of course, Mr. Hillier. Mr. Hillier is our treasurer. And we meet, we were meeting at the uh, Studio Hillier until the pandemic. And now we do it by, by uh, Zoom. Let me, let me, let me hit another, another organization that you're yeah. part of. And again, we can't hit them all, but you're on the, I think you're still on the board at the Paul Robeson House of Princeton also, right? Yes. Yes. Um, Mrs. Uh, that house is very important, um, not just because Paul was there, but also a lot of people who came to Princeton um, boarded there, as many houses in Princeton where people could not stay. And uh, Mrs. Taylor was the last person to, to live in that house, Mrs. Gladys Taylor. And she was a seamstress and she went to our church and she was a member of the family. Um, and when we wanted to get the Robeson house, Mrs. Taylor was bombarded by realtors. Mm-hmm. And she was, and one of those realtors was going to get her, you know, and um, the house was not going to be there. And uh, we said, well, how can we encourage her? So Bernadine Hines and I, because both of us grew up in Princeton on the board, and we went to Mrs. Taylor and we almost begged. I said, Mrs. Taylor, you know, this house is very important to us in Princeton. And um, I guess it worked <laughs> because um, then we started working on it, which was, oh gosh, back in 27, whenever it was, it was much earlier. So then um, there's a board now that, as you know, and um, we're working on it. And I asked, I was on Princeton Future at that time. In fact, I was on it when it started with um, Dr. Goheen and Dr. Geddes and uh, 
Sheldon Sturgis, because it started with Mr. Hines and I showing slides then, and people were going to sleep. Slides are very boring. I'm glad I got a PowerPoint now. But Mr. Hines and I talked about the uh, African-American community, and I joined the board, the um, Princeton Future. And then when Kevin Wilkes came on, and I knew we were doing the, um, his, the uh, Robeson House, I asked Kevin if he would be the architect. So we're, it's coming along. It's, um, yeah. Yeah, no, a lot so, of work is being yeah, oh, yeah. But you know, uh, Paul Robeson was born in that house, but he was born in 72 Witherspoon because it was a double house. And there weren't many houses on Witherspoon Street at that time. So that was 72. It's now 110. Yeah. And he was born in 72. But he lived in the house on Green Street longer than he lived in the one on, um, on Witherspoon. But we're using that one because that's where he was born. Yeah. Okay. So a, another activity I think that's near and dear to your heart is, is your church, the Witherspoon Street Presbyterian Church. Mm-hmm. You're, very, you're very involved there also. Mm-hmm. So, so well, I mean, what haven't you done at that church? You've, 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 been, you've done so many things. Well, um, I do the history of the church, and um, I know you know the history um, as it started. Can I tell you quickly about the history? Absolutely. Okay. Um, with, um, Nassau Presbyterian Church was the then, uh, first Presbyterian church. Uh, started in 1766, and the first um, minister was John Witherspoon, who was then the fifth president, sixth president of Princeton University, and who, by the way, also owned slaves. Um, and uh, throughout their history, there's been three fires. And the first fire was in a, a closet that the sexton had put something in and it caused a small fire. No, that was the second one. The first one was the Hessians, who at the Battle of Princeton used the pews as firewood. Uh, that didn't destroy the, the church, but they used the, church, the, um, the benches. Um, the third fire was uh, the 4th of July, and an ember from one of the um, fireworks hit the roof. But it was the second fire that destroyed the church. And at that time, the slaves worshipped in the gallery, in the, in the balcony. Mm-hmm. And um, the white parishioners went to the theological seminary, which is also Presbyterian, and that's where they worshipped. Balcony wasn't going to carry all those black people that were slaves. So 90 of the hundred and some slaves came down Witherspoon Street and started a church of their own. Now, our church was not there then. This was in 1836. Um, So I assume that they may have worshipped with the Methodist church, the um, Mount Pisgah AME church, because they had already started in 1832. So um, when our church was built, it was built by two men from from, uh, New York, and uh, then they had their place of worship. But we didn't um, have our, we didn't declare it our history until 1840, because that's when... um, uh, Mr. Lowry, who was a trustee at the First Presbyterian Church, gave us our first communion. So that's why we use 1840 as our beginning. And, um, and uh, my uh, family start was in that church since the 1870s. And it started with Frank Van Zandt. Who, well, Frank Van Zandt was my grandmother's um, brother, who uh, was superintendent of Sunday school. Also, um, Elizabeth Betsy Stockton worshipped in our church, and she started a Sabbath school in our church. And everybody says Betsy Stockton. Her name was Betsy because that was a nickname. That was a um, a Betsy in, in the Stockton family. Her given name is Elizabeth. So on our on the, one of our windows says Elizabeth Stockton, 
from this scholar, from her scholars or something like that. So we have a window dedicated to her. We have a plaque dedicated to her. And outside of our church, we have um, a plaque that was that I wrote for the historic preservation of New Jersey because there are trails of all noted women in New Jer- throughout New Jersey, and that one's for Betsy Stockton. But anyway, when um, my grandmother um, was a faithful religious person, and on Sunday, we didn't do anything go to church. And she always had a pot of beans for anybody who came by. And I lived on Old Clay Street at that time. I grew up on Old Clay Street until they built the Clay Street that's there now. And, um, and all of my family were either deacons or elders or some, uh, some part of the church. And uh, my cousin Sarah, uh, her mother, played the organ during Reverend Robeson's days when he was a pre- um, um, the minister. And then she played for 42 years. <laughs> And Cousin Sarah took over for 38 years after that. So they were the ones who were the organists and the choir directors. And my grandmother was on everything in the church. It was the ladies' aid, the pastor's aid. She used to walk from Princeton to, um, uh, to Rocky Hill, not Rocky Hill, but to what's, what's, the, what's 27, going oh, on 27, to Kingston, to, get, um, to go to Mapleton Farms to get... Um, vegetables for the Harvest Home dinners. And then somebody would see her walking back and they would drive her back home. So, um, but my grandmother, Annie May, everybody in, in Princeton knew Annie May. But um, that's, and when I left Princeton, I wasn't going to church very much. But when I came back home in 1981, I was right, right back at church. And I was the superintendent of Sunday school. I taught Sunday school. And I started back Westminster Fellowship, which I was in when I was, um, a teenager. And then I started the junior usher ministry. And thank you for reading the proclamation and for being there for our junior ushers for their graduation. My pleasure. So I've been with the junior usher ministry for years. And um, I think I'm going to have to give it up because I have to pass it on to another generation. But yes, I've done, I'm on, I'm a deacon. They wanted me to be an elder, but I'm not a good a a ruler as I am taking care of people. So I'm a deacon. Um, I'm on the chancel committee. I'm the head of the chancel committee to set up communion and make sure the paraments are the right colors. Um, I'm on church life. Uh, Yeah, I'm on several committees. (laughs) 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 I got my grandma in my blood. (laughs) You do. You do. Yeah. Oh, um, our church was renovated in 1998. And we worshiped at the Theological Seminary Chapel. Mm. And um, they were going to take the original pews out of our church. And Cecilia Hodges and I were two women trying to fight to keep those pews. And, uh, but it didn't work. And uh, the day they took out the pews, I just stood there, watched, and tears just came down because I knew how important. I had historians and carpenters come and look at those pews and said, keep the pews. They left. Huh. So I had four, um, and they were put in storage, but I had four of them taken out to put in our fellowship hall. I have one in my dining room that my grandmother sat in. I have one at the uh, high school in the guidance department when I was a guidance counselor, huh. and they restored that pew. They had a regular ceremony. Were, were you there? No, I missed that one. Yeah, it was a regular ceremony. Superintendent of schools was there. Our pastor was there. And they actually put um, the pew up on the stage as if it would, as, as it would look in the guidance department. And the choir sang. 
uh, Paul Robeson's song, and the band was there, and tears just came down my eye because I remember those pew, and it is beautiful. And then I said, "Well, we have to let this pew be known." And I and the historic and the um, Smithsonian Institution came to a storage and took one of the pews. Huh. And I have the I have the letter that they um, gave me to say that they had that pew. So that's how important those pews were. Yeah, that's you know? remarkable. Yeah, yeah. Paul Robeson sat in those pews, yeah. and, and a lot of people sat in those. And they said it, they weren't comfortable, but hey, you're only in church for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you're in that church a little longer than that, but yeah. So part so, of the uh, but yes, I'm in a lot in, in Witherspoon Street Presbyterian Church. And, and when it was first started, it was called the First Presbyterian Church of Color in Princeton. Mm. Yeah. So, Shirley, I really want to thank you for being here today. I think it's just amazing all that you've done, all that you continue to do. And, you know, so you retired from your guidance counselor position at the high school. You've done all this stuff. So you've never really retired. I mean, you're, you're busy, you're everywhere, you're involved in so much. Mm-hmm. Are you ever going to really retire? Are you ever going to slow down? <laughs> no, when I, I did retire in 2000 because I had double knee replacement and I could retire. And, uh, but they called me back for the next six years. So, you know, but I couldn't go back as a guidance counselor, but yeah. I did all guidance counselor stuff, yeah. you know. And, um, but no, I just like what I do, you know. My passion is the history and the children. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so, it shows. Uh, and yeah. on behalf of the entire community, thank you so much for, thank you. for all you do. And, you know, thank you for being here today and, and sharing this with everybody. Well, thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you. My smiling down on you. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it worth it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the 23rd episode of the Princeton Podcast, produced as a community service by HG Media, providing audio, video, and website design services here in Princeton since 1999. For more information on this episode, please visit our website, princetonpodcast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 